We begin this morning a new series on the book of Luke, this gospel, this narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, it, the start of this series coincides with the start of Advent, but we're not going to end after four weeks. We'll continue on after the birth of Christ to study this gospel and learn from the life and ministry of our Lord and Savior. But this morning, as we prepare, we see the Lord's preparation that as God sends the promised light, as his promised visitation comes, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes through God's faithful preparation. We heard some of that preparation as we went through the book of Malachi and heard God's promises. And now, after nearly 400 years of silence, without any prophetic voice, God sends an angel with good news. Let's attend to God's word this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." In the days of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, 
Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Lord, we have heard your word read aloud. We pray, Lord, that as we reflect upon it, as we examine it, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, work in us, by your power, according to your faithful promises, to shape us, to convict us, to equip us. O Lord, would all that I have to say for your people this morning be to your glory and for their good, and would all that falls short be quickly forgotten. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Faith is the currency of the Christian life. It's through faith that we enter the kingdom and we receive forgiveness of sins when we put our trust in Jesus. But faith is not just how we enter into the household of God. It's not just the doorway, it is the house itself. We live as God's people through faith. Through faith, we believe what God says when he says he loves us, that we are forgiven, that we are loved, that he wills our good. Through faith, we seek to obey, trusting that God's way is right and just and better than our ways. Through faith, we trust God's promises, often waiting, sometimes in dark and difficult days. Through faith, we offer our lives in sacrifice, often giving of our time and our treasure and our talents in ways that we in this life do not receive back, trusting that God sees, is honored by that, and will restore when he comes and makes all things new. Faith is the currency of the Christian life. And yet, what if the currency seems lacking? What if, as we often do in this season in our own lives, feel a little bit cash-strapped, like there's too much required of us, there's too much to believe, sometimes in dark days, and sometimes even in the light of really good things to which we respond, I can't believe it. Can this possibly be true? The Gospel of Luke, and particularly these opening verses, speak to the need of faith. Speak to the reality that those following after Jesus are often those who would desire more faith. As he writes his opening, he speaks to Theophilus. Uh, there's differing opinions as to whether Theophilus was a particular individual or kind of a representative person. The name means lover of God. But Theophilus has been taught things, he's heard things, but Luke sets out to give an orderly account an eyewitness account so that he would have certainty so that his faith as he hears of the life and ministry of Jesus what God does would have increased faith we see here in Zechariah a, a man who is living in dark days verse 5 opens up with the reality that God's people they're living under Herod a tyrant and pretender to the throne in a time in which Rome has conquered and is overruling God's people. 
It's been 400 years since a prophet has spoken with the authority of God, showing signs of God's miraculous power. And though he is a righteous man, who is married to a righteous woman, Zechariah, a priest, struggles to believe the angelic announcement. This morning we're going to look at how God can increase our faith, how our faith might be strengthened and expanded. But before I discuss that, we need to ask this morning whether you can identify with Theophilus. Whether you can identify with Zechariah. Whether you might think God is good and worthy of love, but you're not sure that you can trust him. Whether you might be like those outside of the temple praying that God would work, praying that God would redeem and restore Israel, and yet you've waited for so long you can't be sure. Maybe you're like Zechariah, who when you see something good, when God answers a prayer, automatically the next thought is, can it be true? Maybe sometimes you're like me. God provides a blessing. He provides an answer to prayer, and the next thought is, yeah, but when's the other foot going to drop? God understands that his people often struggle with faith. He inspires Luke to write this account, not only of the life of Jesus, but even the preparation for Jesus, so that in beholding Jesus, in beholding God's work in Jesus, our faith would be strengthened. Like a piece of metal that the closer it gets to the magnet, the stronger the pull is, Luke invites us to get closer to the story of Jesus that we might see God better. And the closer we get to him, because he is the source of our faith, the closer we get to him, the more we examine him, the greater opportunity there is for our strength of faith to be increased. We can't find it within us we can't find it within our neighbors we can't pretend we can't even do good deeds in replacement of that faith but in the consideration of God the one who gives us faith as a gift as Ephesians 2 says we might have our faith strengthened Luke's account here in the whole of the gospel draws us closer to God and in these verses this morning we find that we can put our faith in Christ in the salvation he has offered us and accomplished in the past, in the promise that he's coming again, as we see the faithfulness of God, as we see the power of God, and we see the grace of God. This morning we have an encounter with a faithful God as the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. There's hundreds of priests. The estimate is about 1,800 priests. And so twice a year he would come to serve in and around the temple. But only once in a lifetime, if your name was drawn by lot, would a priest be able to go into the holy place to offer incense. And so here he is. And as the incense goes up before the Lord, symbolizing the prayers of the people while those outside are praying... And specifically, according to the hour of the day and our accounts we have about temple worship at this time, they would have been praying for the restoration of Israel. An angel appears and in his announcement reveals God's faithfulness to his people. In this instant, we see God's faithfulness in two ways. 
First of all, the fact that God doesn't change. God is faithful because he doesn't change who he is. There's a sense that we can count on God knowing his character and knowing that that doesn't change. Verse 7 says this, But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And any Jewish reader who had spent any time in the Old Testament, any Gentile reader who had read the Septuagint, would have noticed that any time that there is a man and woman who don't have a child in the Old Testament and it's mentioned, it's mentioned because God's going to give them a child. So just as God gives Abram and Sarah in their old age a child, just as Hannah is given a child, just as God intervenes throughout history to provide those who seem lacking or under the reproach or outcasts, God acts. This is the same God who makes a promise to Elizabeth and Zechariah that they too would have a child. And speaking of this child in pointing out the specialness of this child who is to be born to them, there are reminders of the way that God has worked in the past. It says that he is to drink no wine or strong drink. And this was the same requirement for Samson. And though there isn't any record of a Nazarite-type vow where he can't cut his hair, just as Samson was not to be given over to wine and strong drink, but to be full of the Spirit to serve in power for God's people, so Samson. So, I like Samson, John, in the Spirit, is supposed to serve mightily. Part of why we can trust God is that he is the same God today that he was when the angel appeared to Zechariah as he was when he made the promise to Abraham that he would bless him and give him a child and through him all nations would be blessed as much as Adam and Eve could trust God. We can trust him because he does not change. And because his character is one of faithfulness, he fulfills his promises. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. Sometimes when it takes a while for something that we expect from the Lord to happen, we can think, well, God has forgotten. Maybe he's forgotten about me. Maybe he has lost track of what he means to do. Maybe he's changed his mind. But the Lord has remembered his covenant promises. And in the sending of John, who we call John the Baptist, we see specific fulfillment. He says of him, in verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. For those of you that have been with us in our series on Malachi, you will have heard echoes of the very promises that God spoke through his prophet, that the Lord would send a messenger to prepare the people. God is fulfilling that promise in John, that he would send Elijah, and Elijah would turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. The very words that Gabriel the angel is using to convey what is about to happen are not just a picture of what God will do, but a reminder that what God is about to do is fulfillment of what he has said in the past. 
And it may seem a little bit trivial to us because, well, we've read this or we're familiar. God promises Zechariah that he's going to have a son. And that promise is fulfilled. God is faithful to his promises. He does not change. This confirmation of God's faithfulness comes as God's people have been waiting roughly 400 years from the promises spoken through Malachi. Echoing promises and events that are even further distant in the history of God's people. And yet, as the angel announces the beginning of fulfillment of these promises, the very man charged with praying according to those promises struggles to believe. Often our faith is tested in times of waiting. Is the God today the God of the early church? Can he, will he act among us as he did in the opening chapters of Acts? Will he work among his people as he did in the Reformation to purify the church, its teaching, doctrine, and practice? Will he continue to draw people to himself as he did in the Great Awakening here almost 300 years ago? Or will he bring revival like he did in Pyongyang in what is now North Korea 120 years ago? Will he continue to do even what he began 50 years ago in the formation of the PCA? God's silence is not his absence, nor is it his forgetfulness. He has not changed. He cannot change. He is faithful. God does not forget, and he has not forgotten you, nor has he forgotten his promises to you and his people. He will not carry forth his promises apart from you. We may not play a central role like Zechariah and Elizabeth and John in what God is doing, but we will not be forgotten as God does what he has promised to do. His promise to you is trustworthy. When God promises us in his word that if we trust in Christ for our salvation, our sins are forgiven. When God's word says that we are his adopted children and heirs, when he says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, when he, stand, when he says that we have authority in the church such that the domain of Satan will not stand against the advance of the kingdom, when he says that he's coming again, we can know that that is true. Not according to the strength of our faith, but according to the object of our faith who says that. And the more we look at his promises, the more we read the history of what he has done, the more we examine our own lives to see what God has done, we see a faithful God. We can know our faith can be strengthened and increased because God does not change. He kept his promises to Zechariah. He kept his promises to Israel. He will keep his promises to you and me. We can trust God because he is faithful even as we await his coming again. And we can trust him because he is powerful. The angel Gabriel announces something pretty amazing to Zechariah. And though we have every indication that Zechariah was a godly man, 
In fact, he says he keeps the statutes and the commandments. This was the very thing that Malachi commended of God's people, what God wanted for his people to turn from their sins to God in repentance, to keep the whole laws so that they would be prepared for the coming of the Lord on that great day. Zechariah has a lot going for him. Yet when God says, I'm about to do something amazing, he responds, how? Now that's just the announcement that though he is old and his wife is old, that they're going to have a baby, let alone what the impact is because of the birth of John. He's not just saying, hey, you're going to have a baby boy, John, but the reason I'm giving you a child, the reason you will have this child is so that he will usher in this time in which the Lord visits his people. He will prepare the people. He will preach so that people repent. He will turn people towards one another. He will be full of the Holy Spirit. Let alone what he thinks in the back of his mind, as most people did, that this promised restoration would come with the throwing off of Rome and the establishment of a Davidic king. The very thing that he's been praying for. So if his response is to him having a baby is how... You can imagine what he's thinking when it comes to the restoration of Israel. Often our faith is weak because we allow the limits of what we expect, the limits of what we ask for, of what we seek to do in God's name to be shaped by our experience of what is humanly possible in human strength as opposed to according to the power of God. The passage reminds us of the power of God. And even in this beginning unfolding of that power, it is preparing the reader for the even greater works that God is preparing to do as he sends his son to announce the kingdom and to bring salvation. First of all, we see his power in the rebuke of Zechariah. The angel responds to him and his lack of faith, his questioning of how this might be possible because he wants a sign. And and interestingly enough, the angel gives him a sign. It's just not the type of sign he wants. To confirm that this is going to happen, he's struck mute. He cannot speak. And the indication is later on, and when we read in chapter 1, that because people have to communicate to him with signs, that he's also been rendered deaf. This is the first demonstration of God's power, and it's recorded in a disciplinary action. But what that says is that God is going to work. If God will rebuke him for the lack of trust, then it shows that God is able to do what he is promising he will do, to change the very hearts of men and women to experience repentance and reconciliation. That if he can correct Zechariah in his sinful doubt, then certainly God has the power to change the hearts and minds of men and women who are wayward in their sin. Then we see his power in the gift of a child in an old age. Let us not neglect that, that though we think, well, these men and women, they live so far in the past, they know how children are made. They understand the life cycles of men and women and how reproduction works. They had every reason to believe that this was beyond human capability. But it wasn't past God's capability. 
From Zechariah's experience, from Elizabeth's experience, they were too old, but they were not too old for God to work and give them a child. We also see the power of God at work in the infant. Notice what it says about this child that they are to receive John. Verse 15 says, And he will be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. In that stage of complete dependence, where this infant in his mother's womb is completely dependent on his mother to draw breath and give him oxygen, to feed him through her own body, in this moment of complete dependence, of abject weakness, the Spirit of God is at work in this child. God is not limited by the limit of our strength. God is not limited by the limits of our intellect. God is not limited by the limits of our agency. The power of God that brings faith in people, that brings us to repentance, the power that sends us off to serve in his name is the same power that is able to work and bring life in the inner workings of a womb and in an unborn baby. And through this baby, whose Holy, who the Holy Spirit rests upon, God is going to change hearts. God's power is going to be at work to turn the hearts of the Father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared to do something that God's people could not do for themselves for 400 years. To bring repentance. The people couldn't change themselves any more than Zechariah could will a child for himself and Elizabeth. But the Lord whose power rebuked Zechariah is able to rebuke our hearts. To shatter the stone and transform it into flesh and to make it beat in accordance with his. Sometimes we need to just pay attention to what we are actually seeing. For Zechariah, it's an angel. He is seeing an angel of the Lord. Gabriel, who gave visions to the great prophet Daniel, has appeared before him and is in such glory that Zechariah responds with fear such that the angel needs to comfort him. There is a manifestation of the power and glory of God in front of him. And he misses that in light of his objection about his old age. Brothers and sisters, this morning we sit here as a testimony to that same power. Our very existence is a testimony to the same power that this passage speaks of because we are here this morning because God, through his spirit, through the preaching of the word, has caused our hearts to be softened, has brought us to repentance, has brought us to saving faith in Jesus. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I'm not so sure about myself, we'll, we'll look around you and know that it's possible. Know that there are hardened sinners. There are scarred people. There are people that have rebelled and God has worked, not only in this church, but throughout history, such that this church could exist. This church, as any gospel-proclaiming church, is a testimony to the power of God. If we would just look and see. God is not limited by the amount of our faith in order to act. 
He was not limited by the capacity of Zechariah to act. Yet as we grow in faith, our expectation of his ability to work should increase. As we seek to grow in faith according to the power of God, one of the ways we can examine that is in our prayer life. Richard Loveless, who wrote about uh, the power of revival in the dynamics of spiritual life, said this. He says that often minimal prayer accompanies many projects in the church, indicating that what is being undertaken is simply what human beings can accomplish pretty well by themselves. Are we praying for things that are beyond our strength? For things that seem impossible for us? That God can change us? That God can give us power over sin in our life? That he can work in the life of that neighbor that seems so far beyond the grasp? that he has the power to make the old womb of New England bring forth new life? Are we praying according not to our limits, not even according to the limits of our faith, but according to the power of God? One of the things that could cause us to struggle with faith is the character of the one that we're seeking to trust in, their power to do what they're going to do, but also whether we want to give ourselves over to that person. Do we want to entrust ourselves to them? Are they good? There are many people, politicians, yes, some politicians, they keep their promises. And they have power to make things happen. That doesn't mean I want to entrust myself to them. But in this passage, we are reminded that the God who is faithful, who does what he says he's going to do because he is able to do it, is a God of grace who gives good gifts. John is a gift. As Elizabeth reflects at the end of the passage, God has shown favor to her. He has shown grace to her and Zechariah. And it's undeserved. Part of it is that Zechariah and probably Elizabeth have grown faithless in praying for a son. He says, your prayers have been answered. Notice that's how the angel starts. And you're expecting what he's been praying. What he's been praying for is the restoration of Israel, the return of the Lord, the great day of the Lord. And that's true. But what does the angel point to? He points to the gift of a son. And in all likelihood, this is something that Elizabeth and Zechariah prayed for for years and yet when they didn't receive it had moved on but God didn't forget their prayer and is gracious to give them the gift even when they had moved on in their own lack of faith God is gracious this child is to be a reminder of that grace the very name of John means God is gracious First, because John himself is a sign of God's gracious character to Zechariah and Elizabeth that he would give them a child in their own age, that it's something that they could not merit, it was something that they couldn't earn, it's something that they couldn't accomplish, it's the gift of God. But also because John is supposed to be a gift to Israel. Even as he will preach the need for repentance, the very nature of that ministry hinges upon the fact that God responds to that repentance with forgiveness and restoration. 
Though it is a, a harder part of God's severe mercy, yet the ministry of John is the pathway into the experience of God's grace as he will call the people to repentance. Many have likely come to go only through the motions of praying for Israel's restoration and the coming of the Lord, and yet he comes. Even the discipline of Zechariah is an opportunity for us to see grace because it is discipline but it is not rejection God doesn't remove the promise he doesn't say I'm going to give you a son and Zechariah says how and then the angel says never mind even in response to his lack of faith there is grace Elizabeth for five months hides this good news passage doesn't tell us exactly why maybe she's fearful that that after all these years she doesn't want to share that lest there be disappointment but what we do know is what she has experienced and what she has experienced from humanity around her is not compassion is not empathy, it's not care. She suffered reproach. Her lack of a child has been a reason for people to look down on her in shame and assume the worst. But how does God respond? He gives her grace. God is gracious. He gives us the gift of creation, the gift of salvation, the gifts of blessing, both personal and restorative. And perhaps you might believe in a gracious God in a general way the way that Zechariah could pray for the restoration of Israel but could scarcely believe the gift of a child for himself. Perhaps the world's testimony or your present circumstances say you can't have good things. To you, God offers grace. He offers gift. To remove your reproach, to remove your shame. Even if the world can't see it, even if the world can't share in the good gifts that God has given you, it does not change that your sins are covered, your purpose and dignity restored in Christ, your future secure, and it is not because of anything that you have done. And if you have received that in faith, then even a lack of faith like Zechariah's can't remove that gift from you. A lot of us have lost faith. Maybe in doctors that haven't cared for us, teachers that have spoken ill of our future. What's the answer when we lose faith? Is it to look in ourselves and say, well, we just have to trust more? That rarely produces more trust. It's only when we find someone, that doctor that listens and prescribes the right treatment and cares for us that we begin to have trust in the medical system or that we can learn and grow when a teacher attends to us. If we are lacking in faith this morning, whether in putting your trust in Christ or you've been seeking to live in obedience but not trust or it just seems dark right now and you don't know how to go forward, would your strength of faith be increased not inwardly but by looking to the one that gives it the God that is faithful to his promises who promised the Messiah and sent him who healed the sick and cast out the demon in his power 
and who out of his generosity and grace gave his life for you and for me. As Luke tells us of the preparation for the coming of Jesus, we see God at work. May our faith be increased as we look to that God. Let's pray. Lord, where we are weak in faith, convict us, yes, but show us yourself. Show us who you are. Show us what you have done. For you are the giver of that faith, and in coming to you, would it be increased? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.